Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you again, thankful for the privilege that we have to worship the true and living God. We know that you have created us for that very purpose. We thank you, Father, that you have redeemed us and placed a desire in our heart to come before you and worship you and give you honor and praise. We thank you, Father, that you have forgiven us of our sins, that you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And we pray, Father, that we would grow in sanctification to be more like Christ. We pray, Father, that as we study your word today, that you would give us insight into your truth. We know that we live in a day, Father, when there is much false teaching. And we pray that you would spare us of any heresy, that you would not allow us to allow our faith to be shipwrecked or to fall away from the truth or to even learn those things, Father, that would hinder our Christian growth. We pray that you would teach us by your Spirit and your Word. We pray, Father, that you would work in our lives even this day. Give us the knowledge that we need so that we might rightly obey your truth. We pray that your Spirit would guide us so that we might rightly apply it to our life. We pray, Father, for our sister churches as they meet. And as they worship, we pray that many would come into the kingdom of God this day. We pray that you would continue to flood the nations with the gospel. That you would use us, Father, to not only send our funds so that missionaries might preach the gospel, but we pray that even from our number that you might be pleased to raise up those that would go. We pray for those that are unable to be with us this day. We know that there are those that are sick and need your healing hand upon their body. We pray that you would be pleased to renew their strength and that they would praise you for your goodness and grace in their life. We know that often we take our health for granted and it's times during sickness that we realize how gracious and merciful you are to us. We pray for those, Father, who are away Pray that as they worship elsewhere that you would bless them and that you would bring them back to us quickly and safely. We pray for those that would not be here due to lack of concern for their own spiritual soul. Pray that you'd bring conviction into their hearts so that they might repent and that they might not forsake the assembly and gather of the brethren. We pray also, Father, for the gospel as it's proclaimed this day, that you would bring sinners to Christ and sanctify your people. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Today we will start a new venture in my life. I am going to try to use an iPad that was given to me back in the fall. But I do have my notes printed here just in case. I always worry about using electronics because you never, when they, never know what they might do to you. But we will see how it goes today. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Begin on reading with verse 38 through 40. Mark chapter 12, verse 38 through 40. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greeting in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feast, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater judgment. A lot of people have a difficult time realizing that there is true and false religion. Some even seek to lump all of us into the same category. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger, Jim Jones, Laura Roberts, Robert Schuler, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, I could go on and on and on. Matter of fact, when I was looking on the internet for TV evangelists, they listed over a hundred and four. Eighty percent of them, I would say, are false teachers. 
One thing that the majority of these men have in common, or had in common, because many of them are no longer living, they were very wealthy. How did they become very wealthy? Well, they got the money from people who didn't know much about the truth, who were willing to support their ministry. Some say the most quoted verse today is, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, in Matthew 7, 1. And they quote this verse trying to stop anyone from criticizing these men. But why do we think that these men need to be criticized? And why do they think that these men are okay? Well, one of the reasons why they believe that these men are okay is because we, they have families and, and friends who follow them. So if these men are deceivers, then these family and friends would be deceived. And they just simply do not want to admit that their families and friends could be deceived. I mean, they think about their families and friends, and they think they're okay because... They are outstanding citizens. I mean, what more can you ask from them? They go to church. They care for their family. They give money, lots of money to these men. I mean, these people, even though they might not be doctrinally sound as we think they should, surely they're going to heaven I mean, they're not that bad for God to send them to hell, are they? And anyway, who are you to judge them? You're not perfect yourself. Some of these individuals have walked aisles. Some of these individuals have been baptized. So what more should they do to get into heaven? That's the mindset of a lot of people. It's sad that so many have so many false ideas about how one obtains heaven, putting their hope in things that are wrong. The church, the family, what's been done to them by someone else or what they themselves have done. Years ago, I remember... When I was in a church, had a large membership, had over a thousand in membership, but there were hundreds of members that had not been in that church in the over four years that I was there on staff. And when we suggested removing these inactive members, guess what happened? Well, it wasn't very nice. I mean, it's as if we were suggesting that we were about to assign these people to hell by removing their names from the church role, even though they had not been in the church role or church attendance for years. How dare us even have the idea that we would remove someone from the church role? I remember a friend of mine, he was in favor of doing this cleaning up the church roll, and one day as he was in the foyer, an older gentleman walked up to him and would not shake his hand, and he said to him, how dare you think about removing my family from the church role? I mean, do such people think that Jesus never talked about confronting those who are deceived or lost? I mean, even the passage that they use there in Matthew 7, verse 1, if they just simply kept reading Matthew chapter 7, they would see that Jesus had some very strong words for those who put their trust in false things to get them into heaven. And then if they went over to Matthew 18, they could learn what Jesus has to say about confronting a brother and church discipline. God has divinely appointed a way to deal with people who become inactive members. To seek to rescue them. 
to seek to deal with them in a spiritual way. But people only fool themselves if they think that Jesus isn't going to bring judgment upon anyone. There's so many passages where Jesus confirms this. I mean, he leaves no doubt as far what it means to be a believer and what a believer isn't, an unbeliever is. Now, we know that Jesus spoke about this often to his disciples and to the multitude. And we must continue to tell people it is appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment. Now, one of the problems is that some pastors have not been faithful in teaching the truth, in warning sinners of the coming judgment. They themselves are not prepared for the judgment, so therefore, I guess they don't see any need of preparing those who hear them for the judgment. And really and truly, this is what Jesus is addressing here in this passage. We have talked about the religious leaders of Jesus' day often as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. He deals with them time and time again. There were these various groups that we've looked at, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians, all of these different groups that Jesus has spoken to in these days there in the temple as they have asked him questions and he's answered their questions and he's also asked them questions. Now, we have to understand that as Jesus continues to teach the multitude and the disciples that he has a purpose in doing this. There was always a purpose in his teaching. And here we see that he is confronting false teachers. Now, not only do we see that Jesus confronts false teachers, but also we see that the apostles throughout the epistles confronted false teachers. Paul addressed it quite often. I'm not going to read the passages. If you want to write them down, you can, and you can look at them later. But in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, Paul speaks about there only being one gospel, that all other gospels are not the gospel. There's only one gospel, and anyone that brings another gospel is a false teacher. And in Colossians 2, 8, he talks about the traditions of men, the false traditions of men. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, he talks about those who have fallen away and those have fallen away because of the false doctrine. He continues in 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18 and tells them to avoid vain babbling and talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus who were false teachers. And in 2 Timothy 3, 8 through 9, he talks about those men who oppose the truth. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 3, talks about those who have turned their ears away from the truth for fables. Peter also talked about false teachers in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 20. John addresses false teachers in all three of his epistles, And the whole epistle of Jude is mainly dealing with false teachers. And this was in the first century. This was at the very beginning of the church. And the warning was given over and over again. And we know that there have been heretics that have sought to lead many astray down the path of destruction throughout church history. Some of you are old enough to remember Jim Jones. And Guyana, who at first he was in Indiana, and then he went out to California and built his, quote, church, and then he led his church down to Guyana there in South America and started his own Jim Jones town. And he led those people eventually to commit suicide. 918, over 300 were children, died because they listened to a heretic. False teaching is deadly to the soul. It's like injecting poison into the body. You will eventually die. It will kill one's soul. And that's one reason Jesus is addressing it. We must remember when some are saying, 
we need to all just simply get along for the sake of the church that both Jesus and the apostles made it clear that this cannot transpire unless we are united in truth. We're never to unite for any other reason except for truth. And we must love the truth and do all that we can to promote truth and avoid false doctrine at all costs. So with that as our introduction, let us look at this passage and see what Jesus is teaching the disciples, the multitudes, and tells us what we must be aware of in verses 38 through 40. First of all, notice that Jesus gives this warning there in verse 38-8 when he says, Beware of the scribes. Now, the parallel passage to this is found in Matthew 23. We have a summary here. In Matthew 23, he goes on for 36 verses speaking about the scribes and the Pharisees. So if you'd like to go this afternoon and read over those warnings that he's giving here at the temple to the multitude and to the scribes and to the disciples, you can do that and study it. But Jesus, again, has been at the temple constantly teaching all day long, answering questions and asking questions. And there's something remarkable in this fact. I mean, you would think that the disciples wouldn't need such a warning. He's been warning them for three years. He's been teaching them for three years. So why in the world does Jesus give this warning here in the temple to the disciples? Well, he's teaching that even his most committed servants are not beyond needing a constant warning. In other words, you don't give a warning just one time. And let it go. If you live on a busy street and you have little children, do you tell your children just one time now, I don't want you to ever go down the driveway, down into that busy street, and you let it be. Is that it? No, you're constantly telling your children. Matter of fact, every time they go outside, you seek to warn them, don't go in the street. Why? Because you want them to heed the warning. Well, Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's wanting his disciples to heed the warning. He's wanting them to realize that they must be on their guard. Remember who's in their group? Remember who one of the disciples is? Judas himself is in this group. One who was deceived and a deceiver. I mean, the most holy believers must walk humbly with the Lord. We must watch and we must pray as Jesus told them in case we fall into temptation. None is so holy that he can ignore this message, this warning that is given. None is so strong that he might not be overcome by the evil one or this world. If you had the opportunity, all you'd have to do is ask Peter. And he would quickly tell you, to not let down your guard, but constantly be watchful, constantly in prayer. So Jesus is teaching those whom the Father has given Him, those who were chosen before the foundation of the world, those who are justified by His blood and righteousness, indwelt by His Holy Spirit, and kept by the power of God. He's teaching them that they must be on their guard. We have to realize That as Christians, we are but mere men only. Later, we know that Peter broke fellowship with the Gentile Christians and refused to eat with them. We know Barnabas and Paul had a dispute over Mark. We know that Demas forsakes the company of Paul due to his love for the world. And we know that there were all kinds of sinful acts that were taking place there in the church at Corinth. I mean, as Christians, our hearts are only partly sanctified. We are being sanctified. Our understanding is only in part. Our sight is still dim in many things. And the enemy of our soul is very busy seeking whom he may devour. And we must be aware of that. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He is constantly seeking 
to shoot his fiery darts at us so that we might fall into temptation. So we must not trust our own heart. We must only trust God to give us the strength to overcome sin when it comes our way. Take heed that all your knowledge and experience, do not allow it to puff you up. Beware of pride. Many have begun well, run well for a season, and afterwards they have fallen away. And we must be aware of that. Make sure that you are a spiritual man. Pray that God will keep you from error and sin. Heed Jesus' warning that He says here when He says, Be where watch out is what he's saying now second there are teachers whose own character is so corrupt that they must be avoided now this corruption isn't what most would even call sin in our day but in god's eyes it's a great sin I mean, after answering all of their questions and asking them questions, we see that Jesus now begins to speak to the scribes. We see that Jesus was not a man pleaser. I mean, he cared more about what God the Father thought than what any man thought. He may even, as he stood there, may have even pointed his finger over to the groups of uh, scribes and says, these men, these scribes over here, and pointed them out. I mean, notice nowhere does Jesus warn His disciples about thieves, prostitutes, drunkards, murderers, races, or tax collectors. He never singled them out in His sermon. These people, why? Well, those people were obvious, right? I mean, everyone knew, because the law of God is written on our heart, everyone knew that those things were sin And you stay away from those things. But instead, we see that he singles out the scribes. He confines his warning to this group alone. The religious. Those who thought they were very righteous. Now we have already looked at these men. We have seen that these were the lawyers. They were Pharisees. But they were Pharisees with their doctrine. They had studied. They were what we would call the scholars of the day. They were very impressive because of this. And we see because of that, they they dressed in a particular way to impress others. Talks about their robes here. They had their long flowing robes with all of their tassels on it. They sat in the prominent seat in the synagogue and at the feast. And they prayed these long prayers publicly before the people. So to the people, these men appeared to be the most righteous. So what does Jesus do? Well, He exposes them. He exposes them for who they really are. He doesn't want any followers to have any doubt about their true character. Again, if you read verses 1 through 36 in Matthew 23, He really exposes them. I mean, we just have one little blurb here in Mark. But we have 36 verses of Jesus nailing them to the wall as far as who they are. Now, the scribes, we must say, were not infidels. They did not deny the inspiration of Scripture. They held on to the Old Testament. They kept the law of Moses. Earlier, we see that Jesus even spoke about one of the scribes. And he said that he was not far from the kingdom of God. Now remember, the temple is going to be destroyed in 40 years. And the Jews are going to be scattered. So why did Jesus bother to warn them about the scribes. In other words, these men are going to be gone. They're not going to be in existence as far as how the church or how religion was set up at this particular time. Well, we know that he did it for the benefit of the church. Eventually for you and me. He knew that there would be congregations who would need to be on their watch To heed this warning, he knew that there would be those who 
would continue to act like these scribes throughout history. And of course, history's revealed that. Many didn't heed this warning. We know as history went on, you had the Middle Ages, or, or you can call it the Dark Ages, after Rome fell. And as a result of that, the church continued to go into serious error in sin to, we need, to where we needed what? A reformation to take place. So we see that what Jesus is teaching here is what the church had to accomplish during the Reformation. Now, we look at this warning that Jesus gives and we see that there's three areas of life that we must be aware of, that we must watch. First, we must watch out for ambition. There's godly ambition. Paul's ambition was to present himself a living sacrifice to God. For me to live is Christ, is what Paul said. And all Christians should have that ambition. But these teachers of the law look for honor that God alone gives. They love to walk around in their flowing robes and receive praise from men. Now who is praise to be given to? It's to be given to God. So they were seeking to exalt themselves to the place of God. Not only by walking around in their rows, but also as they went down through the marketplace, the people would rise as they walked down the street. And they would stand in honor of these scribes. They loved the respect of men in these public places. And they would, they would call them rabbis. They would call them teacher. Again, in Matthew 23, we see that Jesus addresses that and says, call no one father, call no one rabbi. Now, is he saying you're not to use any titles? No, he's saying don't exalt man to the place of God. That's what he's pointing out. These men were seeking to trump God. These men were seeking to be on the same level as God. And that's what Jesus is condemning. They didn't teach the scriptures or exhort men to trust in God with all their heart and serve Him, for they were too concerned about their selfish ambition. They studied the Scriptures really for their own benefit, but yet they did not even benefit from what they studied. They were promoting themselves. How vain is worldly ambition. We all have it seated in our heart. The itch for a name. And more so today than ever before. I mean, social media has provided all of us a way to put our name out there. In other words, that we can be someone. We put it out there so that people will read about us, that people will think highly about us. We have to be very careful. I'm not saying we're not ever to put anything out on social media. I'm saying we need to examine our motive and see why are we putting what we're putting out there on social media. We must not be like these scribes, these Pharisees who seek to exalt ourselves. I mean, these things can cause us to fall away from the truth. Desiring, just like these men, a big house, degrees, the promotion, the big job, the big salary, the symbols of success that the people will think that we are successful. Now again, there's nothing wrong with being successful. But our question we must ask ourselves is, why do I want to be successful? Why do I want to make the big salary? Hopefully, it would be that we would want these things so that we might be used of God to bring honor and glory to Him through the gospel. How self-centered is all of these things? We must beware of the sinful ambition. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter and to James and to dismiss and all the rest of us. It's a deadly trap that we can fall into if we are not watchful. Second, watch out for pride. Now this one is very closely connected to ambitions. These men love to have the top place. In the congregation, the seat before everyone, at the big banquet, they want it to be at the front, at that main table. They want it to enjoy rubbing shoulders with the elite. 
I mean, how pathetic is all of this in God's eyes? Martin Lloyd-Jones, preaching a sermon on pride, he said this, As I was preparing this sermon, it filled me with a loathing and a hatred of myself. I look back and I think of the hours I wasted in mere talk and argumentation. And it was with one end only, simply to gain my point and to show how clever I was. In other words, why do we argue with people? Again, there's times that we need to argue with people. When people are wrong, when it comes to God's Word or other issues, we need to argue with them and seek to convince them of the truth. But as Martin Lloyd-Jones points out there, is it simply to show others that we are clever? If it's to simply show others that we are clever, then we are filled with pride and we must watch out for pride because we know what the Scripture tells us about pride. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we see that Jesus clearly has already pointed out, just remember back a few verses earlier, Jesus had talked about how we must love others as we love ourselves. But these Pharisees, these scribes loved themselves more than others and they simply dismissed Jesus' exhortation. Pride can have a damning effect on a man so that he will never admit his need to anyone. His stands pridefully exalts himself, denouncing others. Remember there in Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee, as he stood and as he prayed, he exalted himself. He didn't humble himself. Not only did he exalt himself, he looked over at the publican, And he criticized the publican. But of course, Jesus points out in that particular passage that it was the publican, not the Pharisee, that met with God. And God heard the publican and did not hear the Pharisee. Jeff Thomas, pastor in Wales, tells how Donald MacPhail, who was a Scottishman and eventually he became a missionary to Yemen, At the age of 16, he was converted and and the Lord was moving there in, in Scotland at that particular time. And they were having prayer meetings and he went to a prayer meeting at a police station. And he was asked at 16 years old to pray among all these men that were there with him. And he and he put his hands together like a little child. And he began to pray. And the first thing out of his mouth was a father. And the Holy Spirit came down in power over that entire group. That entire group was broken with that one word, father. Now why? Why was that the case? Because he had humbled himself before his father. And he cried out to his father, like childlike faith. And God used that shy country boy who humbly prayed to move that entire group of men praying there at the police station. Do you see that prayers, not only are they measured, they're not measured by the clock. They are measured by our closeness to our Heavenly Father who we are praying to. These scribes prayed, but they did not pray as though they knew God. They prayed only to impress others. Thirdly, watch out for greed. We are told that these men devoured widows' houses. In other words, they prayed on the most lonely. And the most helpless, they they were widows. They had been left alone and some of them were, were quite wealthy and they were the targets of these scribes. But not only did they target the most wealthy widows, 
they also targeted the poor widows. I mean, they masqueraded as servants of God, but in fact, they were servants of greed. They were lovers of money instead of lovers of God. Now, at this time, it was improper for anyone to receive a salary for interpreting Scripture. They relied on the hospitality of people to be able to live. Now, of course, among them were these widows who were especially weak, and they played on them. There was no way that any of us can be delivered from these particular sins, this sin of greed, this sin of ambition, and this sin of pride, by simply praying a short prayer in the morning and going off to work. Because as we go off to work, Satan will be constantly firing his fiery darts at us all day long. Our thoughts must be directed to Christ throughout the day. We must draw close to Him throughout the day, asking that He will constantly keep into our mind the things that we need to know so that we might overcome temptation. To understand all the blessings that He has given to us. And to cast all our cares upon Him. Only in this way can you and I gain victory over ambition and pride and greed in this world. Our third major point. The actions of the religious leaders provide the reason for the coming doom to Jerusalem. There in verse 40. When he says, these will receive greater Condemnation. Now, though Jesus Christ condemns them for adding human traditions to the law, for ignoring the spirit of the law, Jesus recognizes the legitimate teaching office that they occupied. And again, we see that in Matthew 23, in verses 2 and 3, when he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. And do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. So we see that Jesus says, now listen to these guys when they're right. When they're teaching the law, when they're right on, you listen to them and do what they do. But don't do as they do. In other words, what? They were hypocrites. They were saying one thing and they were doing another thing. We need to realize that some teachers may be as straight and right theologically, but because of their character, which is so corrupt, that they must be avoided at all cost. Their doctrine may be solid as it can be. They may be orthodox, committed to inerrancy, have a right knowledge about the person and work of Christ. They may even hold to the doctrines of grace. But because their character, they destroy everything they teach. That's what Jesus is pointing out. Their character, in other words, is of utmost importance. If the character of the teacher is corrupt, what is he telling us here? If his character is corrupt, then he is a false teacher. Not because he teaches false doctrine, but because he is seeking to be like the one who supposedly, not like the one who supposedly called him. He's not seeking to be like Christ. He's not seeking to be truthful in his life. Now, do you understand that I'm not simply talking about sin? Every single gospel preacher is a sinner just like you. Saved by the grace of God. Sins daily. Just like you. Some of his sins may be worse than your sins. Now, of course, his life must be in line with the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But he is still a sinner who must confess his sins daily and seek forgiveness. Now, there's a big difference, and we have to understand this about what I'm talking about here. There's a big difference, as one preacher put it, between warts and leprosy. 
All Christians have warts. I'm not talking about physical warts, children. I'm talking about spiritual warts, and I'm talking about spiritual leprosy. But here we are talking about leprosy. That's what Jesus is talking about. That which continues to kill, that which spreads throughout the entire body and eventually kills the person. Jesus is talking about a corrupt character which reveals who he is in this particular passage. Now these scribes were the most conservative men of their day. They were very strict. They crossed every T and dotted every I. They proclaimed that they knew the Scriptures, that they were the main teachers of the Scriptures, that they knew the Scriptures better than anyone else in their day. That's one of the problems they had with Jesus. Because Jesus came teaching the Scriptures and His teaching was not lining up with their teaching. So therefore they didn't like Him because they were saying, You think you know more than us? You don't know more than us. We're the scribes of the day. We're the doctors of the day. You're an uneducated carpenter's son. But yet they continued to think highly of their self. And Jesus is telling His listeners to watch out for certain men to pay attention, to keep your eyes open, to consider the wretchedness of their behavior, these religious men, and flee from such men like a plague. He also pronounces coming judgment. He warned His disciples exactly what was going to happen to these false teachers, these scribes. He says what? We'll receive greater condemnation for Chilling words. Simply saying the right thing or simply saying you believe the right thing doesn't make one godly. Doesn't make a godly teacher. Unless that person's character lines up with his teaching, Jesus is saying what? Avoid him. Jesus tells us that these men will be punished What kind of punishment? He says, we'll receive a greater condemnation. Now he's not talking about their own conscience condemning them or the shame of society calling them a bunch of charlatans. Jesus is referring to the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. He's referring to himself. He's referring that he will be the judge. These men... They lived in nice houses and they had put widows out on the street because of that. And Jesus wasn't pleased and He was speaking of their judgment. Why would they receive this greater judgment? It's because they have themselves lived a life of hypocrisy. Because they have received light, they have received the Scriptures and rejected them. They held this office of honor but yet they despised it. The privilege that had been given to them so that they might study the Scripture, know the Scriptures, and teach the people, they had not fulfilled. In other words, they were filled with pride and hypocrisy and greed. And Jesus says, because of that, you will receive a greater judgment. Now remember this principle of Scripture. Greater light by necessity brings greater condemnation. Greater light by necessity brings greater condemnation. In other words, the more privileges that you have had to receive the truth of God and the more you despise it and reject it will bring more judgment, greater condemnation. And we need to understand that. That's the reason why the people in America will be judged with greater strictness, those who reject Christ than those of nations who've never heard the gospel. Even though they will be judged because they reject God Himself, they will not be judged as severe. Now, of course, when we talk about this severity of judgment and that severity of judgment, this level of hell and that level of hell, it's beyond our comprehension. I mean, the least place in hell is so bad that we can't comprehend it. And when you think about the least place in hell being the greatest condemnation, or so bad, think about the greatest place in hell. And this is reserved for these kinds of people. The teachers 
who did not teach according to God's word and led people astray. If we don't live up to the responsibility that God has given us, then the greater life serves only to bring greater condemnation on the last day. On the last day, it would be better for someone to have been a thief or a liar or a prostitute than to be in the shoes of these scribes who were hypocrites all their life. Hell will be more tolerable for that thief and that prostitute and that liar than for these scribes. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across. These are strong words that he used here when he says greater condemnation. And we need to connect with that and the present reality of our day, the dangers of our day. We must realize that there is no pastor, no elder, no gospel minister who is immune from pride, greed, hypocrisy, and worldly ambition. None. Every pastor is tempted with these things. The question is, how does he deal with it? How does he overcome temptation? Why are so many pastors in our day and time falling into sin? And that's why Paul warns ministers to watch themselves, to guard themselves for such things. But today there seems to be those who have not heeded this exhortation and have fallen flat on their face. They have brought shame upon the name of Christ and shame upon His church. We need to see the danger in the pedestal syndrome exalting a pastor or elder to a place on a pedestal. The only person that is to be put on a pedestal is Jesus Christ, who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we must see Jesus. That should be your cry when you come in here to worship. Let me see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And let me close by saying that unless you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will have the same end as far as judgment and condemnation as these scribes and these Pharisees. It may not be as great as their condemnation, but it is a great condemnation and it's coming on all who do not know God through Jesus Christ. But some simply don't believe the Word of God. Don't believe sinners will be sent to hell. Because see, if you really believe that sinners would be sent to hell and that you're a sinner, then you would repent. And that you would trust in Christ and Christ alone. But evidently you don't believe it. You don't believe the Bible. You don't believe what you've been taught all your life because you continue to reject Him. And you allow Satan to deceive you. And you allow Satan to continue to work in your life to where you deny him and reject Christ. But we also know that the Holy Spirit is greater than Satan. He is more powerful. And that he is able to bring sinners to Christ. As the hymn says, I know not how this saving faith in me he did impart nor how believing in His Word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convicting men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. But I know whom I have believeth, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I committed unto Him against that day. That's what you must do. You must commit your life to Him. You must believe in Him. Believe in Christ that He is able to save sinners. That He's able to save you. That He's able to change your heart and give you a new life to where you trust in Him and are able to live for Him. That work of the Spirit, you must believe in that. You must trust in that. You must look to Christ and Christ alone to be saved. Christian, do others realize that you also believe 
and hell. That you believe it to the extent that you talk to them about the gospel. That you walk a life that is a life that pleases Christ. That you seek to call people to repentance and you press upon them to trust in Christ alone. Do you live a life that seeks to convey to people that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and that people will be sent to hell if they reject God and people will be sent to heaven if they love God? That's our calling as Christians. Is it evident as a church that we believe this to where we seek to invite people to be under the preaching of the gospel? Do we take time out of our busy schedule to share the gospel with those that we come in contact with? Do we pray for them as we bow on our knees and look to God? Do we pray for those that we come in contact with asking God to save them and add them to His church? Are we actively involved in evangelism is what I'm asking you. Are we actively involved to where people know that we are concerned about their spiritual well-being? That is what Jesus is telling us in this passage. That we are to beware. Beware of the scribes. Beware of pride. Beware of selfish ambition. Beware of greed. Beware that there is a heaven and a hell. Let us beware. Let us be faithful to teach and preach the truth and live a life that commemorates the truth of Jesus Christ. Let us be faithful. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would heed this warning given by our Savior. That we would not be like the Pharisees. And that we would not be led astray. But Father, we pray that we might have the mind of Christ. And that we might totally trust in Him each and every day. So that we might grow in grace and be used of you to lead others to Christ. Give us those opportunities even this day, Father, as we come in contact with others to speak the truth in love. And how we pray, Father, that those here who have heard the message this morning, that they would consider their own spiritual condition. And how we pray, Father, that they would flee to Christ from the wrath that is to come, the judgment that is to come, the condemnation that is to come on all who continue to reject God how we pray that their hearts would love Thee and surrender to Thee. And we pray that we would be faithful in the task that You have called us to, Father, to go into this world and to be Your disciples. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and for His sake. Amen.